just linger a moment, not run past this moment. Just continue in an attitude of worship, eyes closed, focused on the King, Jesus. He is beautiful. He's here. The Bible says He inhabits the praises of His people. He comes in. He sits down. Lord, we honor You. We acknowledge Your presence. And Father, You see every heart in this place. You see every fear. You see every need. You see every pain. You see every insecurity. You see every hurt. Father, as we linger in Your presence, I ask You to be God among us. I ask You to lift, touch, heal, grace, strengthen, reveal. Thank You for being God in our midst. Lord, we just we drink in Your presence. We receive from You right here, right now, the God of the universe tabernacled with us. Lord, You are beautiful. You're altogether lovely. You're outrageously generous. You're extravagant in your love. Thank you so much today. It's in that beautiful name of Jesus that we worship and pray. You say amen? Amen. God bless you. Welcome. As you're being seated, why don't you smile at your neighbor and say, He is beautiful, but frankly, you look a little better with the lights down. Just kidding. Just kidding. Don't say that. That would be mean. Well, it's great to have you. Thank you, worship team. That was just a great time of, uh, of worship. And I, I love worship. I love the presence of God. I needed it. And uh, I'm so grateful. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome books are going, uh, being passed out. If you're visiting with us, we're thrilled to have you. Uh, jot a note. Let us know that you're here. We don't have a three-visit rule. We have a three-visit request. We want you to come back three times just to get the, the true feel of North Point and meet some of the folks and, and find out if this is really a spot for you. But uh, I can attest this is a great uh, local expression of the body of Christ to be connected with, and we'd love to have you be a part. And uh, so we appreciate that. Ushers are going to be passing the offering buckets, and uh, uh, Elder Jeff Kimmy mentioned a little bit of uh, shortfall just because expenses are, have increased and uh, really things are going amazing well, amazingly well. But thank you so much for loving God and expressing it through your giving and loving Him through your giving because that's what we do at North Point. Uh, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. And we, we love God. We love His kingdom. And we want to see that kingdom expand. And that's why we invest in that kingdom. So thank you so much for your generosity and your giving. And uh, just one other thing I want to mention before we just dive right in to the message is that we have child dedication next week. Next Sunday is Father's Day. And what an appropriate Sunday to have child dedication. We don't see anywhere in Scripture where infants or children were baptized, but we do see Jesus calling children to Himself, laying His hands on them, and blessing them. And uh, so that's the practice here at North Point. We want to do this publicly. We want to do it officially. And we believe God together that... that uh, that God is marking the lives of these young people and that we're covenanting together to raise them uh, to be godly and to be Christ followers. So next Sunday, child dedication. You can still uh, register for that 
and be a part, and we'd love to uh, have you do that. And, uh, and just uh, one, one other comment in regard to uh, what Jeff Kimmy said. Uh, really appreciate, it's been a, just a phenomenal opportunity to expand and enlarge our family being here at North Point. You all have just been so gracious, not only to me, but our whole family. And you've been so encouraging and supportive and appreciative. And it's just, it's really been a delight for us to be here. And we're just committed to a successful baton handoff. So thank you for putting up with us. And, uh, and, and uh, not, uh, I, I know mo- some of you were like, oh man, I thought he was going to be done in May. But thanks for tolerating me just a couple more weeks or months or whatever it is, okay? Well, we are uh, on a brand new series, and I'm excited about the series. Well, it's, it's, it's two weeks old anyway. We kicked off last week, and we've entitled this Life Locked, uh, Identity Theft Prevention and Protection from the Book of Romans. And I'm excited about this series. I'm challenged by the, rook of, uh, by the Book of Romans and uh, need God's grace and help. I do a really good job at making noise He's really good at making sense. So I'm trusting him this morning. We spent a little bit of time last week setting up this series and setting up this message by talking about identity theft and and how that it not only is widespread in our country and in our world. I read a statistic that's old, actually 2012. 64.4 million people in 2012 uh, had identity theft issues, which is staggering. And, I, and I, 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 I've got to believe that the number is exponentially higher. And we saw that, that identity theft and being hijacked is not new. And in fact, Solomon had it right. He said there's nothing new under the sun. And, and so we went all the way back to the beginning. We went all the way back to Genesis, and we saw how that we had identity theft back in Genesis chapter 3. And so just by way of reminder to kind of set up this morning, Uh, A couple things that we touched on last week. Genesis chapter 1. God created us. He created man in his own image and in his own likeness. We were created to be like God. God is three in one. One in three. He created us. Tripartite. He created us spirit, soul, and body. He made us to be like him. He created us in his image. And everything was wonderful. Everything was beautiful until sin entered the picture. And really the bottom line of what happened is... The image of God, Adam created to be like God, to act like God, to look like God, that image was marred, that identity was stolen in the garden. We go from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 3, and everybody knows the story. You've got a tree, actually a couple of trees, you've got fruit, you've got a serpent, you've got Adam, you've got Eve, and you've got got God's clear instruction Partake of 99.9% of all of it. There's just two I want you to stay away from. And really, if, if we're honest, the real problem and issue in the garden is the issue that we're going to talk a lot about today. It was an issue of belief. It was an issue of faith. It was an issue of trust. Because the bottom line of what happened in the garden and why Adam and Eve partook of the fruit was because they really didn't trust what God told them. God said, don't eat that. If you do, it's going to go bad for you. You're going to die. They didn't, they didn't, they couldn't comp- they'd never seen death. They didn't know what death was. They couldn't comprehend what that meant, but it was bad. They didn't trust Him. They didn't believe Him. They thought they knew better. They thought it would be better. They thought it would go better. So, so they eat. You know the drill. And all of a sudden now they're aware. 
they're aware, we're, we're not clothed, we're naked. So they, they get the fig leaves, and they, they get out the sewing machine, and they try to cover themselves, and God comes calling in the cool afternoon of the day, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, well, I heard your voice, I was afraid, and so I hid. And God asks him a question that he's been asking ever since the dawn of creation. He's been asking, where are you and who are you? Because Adam said, I, I was afraid, I was naked. And God said, who told you that you were, and in this instance, naked, but you fill in the, br- you fill in the blank? See, that's a question that, that is being asked all the time. We're talking about our true identity. Who are you? How do you define yourself? At your core, who are you? What's at your root? What's at the center? God said, who told you that you were? Well, what have you been told? What are you buying into? What are you believing? We said last week that that with that decision to partake and eat and and sin enters and and God's identity in man is marred and it's forever smeared and and God's been working a plan to restore what was marred and to restore what was lost and to restore our true identity as God originally designed it. But what was introduced in the garden was what we referred to last week as the land of Ur. Ever since the garden, man has been trying to define himself outside of God. And he's been trying to fix himself because we know inherently there's things that are broken and wrong. We know we're not all we're supposed to be. We know that without the preacher telling us. We know it inherently. And so we talked about this land of Ur. It's it's a land where we know we need to become better. We need to be wiser. We need to be smarter. As it relates to God, we need to be holier. We need to be more obedienter. Now, we started making up words last week. We might as well just keep making them up. But it's the land of Ur. And and I'm not where I belong. There's there's this this place that I've got to get to. It's the land of Ur. And it's always something bigger. It's always something better. It's always something just out of reach. Adam introduced that new world to us that you and I are very familiar with and that we live in every day. The land of Ur. Smarter, wiser, skinnier. Some of us, some want to be fatter. I don't get that. You know a few people like that. I'm trying to gain weight. I I can't relate to you. I went to a friend's house. He's got this mass gainer protein, and it's like 1,600 calories per serving. And I'm just like, I digress. We're talking about the land of Ur. Smarter, skinnier, wealthier. It's the land of Ur. So, We have an introduction in the book of Romans, and we touched on it last week. We we started in the first seven or eight verses. And we find a different land. It's not the land of Ur, it's the land of B. You see, ever since the fall, you and I and humankind, we largely define ourselves by what we do. 
You meet somebody. Hi, my name's John. What's yours? Oh, my name's Jeff. What do you do? Jeff or I, what do you do? Well, I have a siding company. I'm a business owner. I'm a doctor. I'm a nurse. I'm a homemaker. We, We define ourselves by what we do. God's original intention is that what we do flow out of who we are. That's God's original plan. And that that plan got aborted. That plan got hijacked, got broken. So now, largely, we're left struggling to try to figure out who we are by what we do. And that's backwards, because you'll never figure out who you really are by what you do. You'll be performance-based. And I'm so appreciative uh, for Michael Beebe and him being so willing to be transparent and share his story last week that he was living in the land of Ur, that he was uh, living under this lie, this false identity theft experience that he needed to produce, that he needed to, uh, to achieve in order to be accepted, in order to be applauded, in order, in order to fit in. And, and so he was constantly striving to, to raise that bar and finally realized this is destroying me, it's destroying my marriage, it's destroying my children, and it's unsustainable. And I've got to make some changes, and I've got, I need God's grace and help to do that. That's the land of Ur. And then we transition into the land of B. And, and, and we read about it in the book of Romans. We read about it in the first chapter. And I've got a lot of scripture for you. If you've got your Bible, you're going to want to look on. I'm reading out of the NIV. I have New American Standard here. And uh, you've got ESV there. Or you've got whatever you prefer on your tablet or smartphone. But uh, let's, let's just review... This, this land of B that Paul introduces in the first chapter, in the first few verses of Roman, Romans, he says in verse 1, I'm, I'm Paul, I'm a servant of Christ, I'm called to be an apostle, I'm set apart for the gospel. And that's his theme all through the book of Romans, this gospel. Gospel means good news. By the time we're done today, it's going to be even better news, let me tell you. I just promise you that. Because it's going to get good, and then it's going to get really, really bad. So just spoiler alert, it's going to get really ugly here in just a few minutes. But he says, I'm a servant. I've set apart for the gospel. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and scripture regarding his son, as to his earthly life, as to his descendancy. He's a a descendant of David. He was proved or appointed to be the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Through him, verse 5, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. I love that phrase. Genuine faith always produces obedience. That's why we had trouble in the garden. Because Adam and Eve didn't walk in faith. They didn't trust God. And therefore they didn't obey God. So our believing always leads to acting. Right believing leads to right acting. Wrong believing leads to wrong acting. And we're going to see that on steroids here in just a few minutes in this chapter. But he says that we've, uh, we have received grace to call Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for His namesake. You also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And we talked about the land of B instead of the land of Ur. You've been called to belong to Jesus Christ. And then Paul uses some other B language. should have tied this in with a big B announcement somehow. A lot of B's in here. To all in Rome, verse 7, who are loved by God. Some translations say beloved of God and are called 
to be His holy people. New American Standard actually uses the word saint. So, you've been called some things by God as a Christ follower. He was writing to the church at Rome. He uses the language, all of you. It's important we catch that word all. We're going to hear it multiple times today. He says, all of you who are part of the church at Rome, all of you who are believers, all of you who are Christ followers, you are all beloved of God. You all belong to God, and you are all called to be holy, or He calls you saints. Now, I'll pick on Jeff Rouse, because Chris Carter was here earlier, and I picked on him, and, and it didn't go real well. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Marcy. But Jeff Rouse, see, the Bible says Jeff, and I know this is hard to believe for some of you, but the Bible calls Jeff a saint. Yeah, yeah. How do, you, how do you translate that in sign language? Wow. I don't think there's words for that. But that's what God says about Jeff as a true Christ follower. He calls him a saint. Now everyone in this room that knows Jeff knows he's not lived saintly 24-7. We all know that. We know that because, we know that because he's just like us. But the Bible calls him a saint. Because something's happened to him as a result of his faith in Jesus Christ. And so this is the land of being. This is the land of who I am. What are we talking about? We're talking about identity theft prevention. And our lives being locked into an identity. Into a reality that comes from God himself. It's a place of security. It's a place of, 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 of peace. It's a place of power. It's a wonderful place to live this land of being. And Paul is going to continue to unpack this for us. Now, Paul goes in verse 8. Let, let, me, let, me, uh, let me just pause and say this. There, there's a watershed in this first chapter that we're going to get to in just a moment. And by watershed, all of us understand this, this terminology, the, the continental divide, for example. In the United States, there's the Continental Divide, and it's about 3,100 miles. It covers five states, and, and it results in, in water flowing to two very different places, either the Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic or the Pacific. And we call that watershed. We call that Continental Divide. Rain that falls on the east side of that divide flows east to the Atlantic. Rain that falls on the west side of that divide flows to the Pacific. It's a watershed. It's a fulcrum. It's, it's, it's a, a demarcation. It's an important transition point. And I love the mountains. I, I've, I've actually been on the Continental Divide. And one of the things we love to do, we, we hike. And we were in Colorado a couple years ago. We hiked Mount Quandry, 14,276 foot or something like that. It's phenomenal. It's awesome. It's amazing. Well, the bottom line is this, with a watershed, is depending on which side you land determines a very different destination. A radically different destination and location. In fact, you end up in different hemispheres almost, depending on which side of that divide you fall on. And that's really what Paul is going to bring us to in this chapter. And I want, to, I want to see if you can catch it as we read along. Where is that fulcrum point? Where is that great divide? So let's, let's continue reading. Now, verse 8, 
he talks, and in, in, in the verses following, he's writing to them. Uh, he's talking about some preliminaries. He's talking about how much he misses them, how he wants to visit them, how, he, how their faith is famous and they're being talked about all over the world. He says, I, I, I tried to come to you multiple times and I, I just couldn't get there, but it's still my goal to come and, and to encourage you and I want to be encouraged by your faith and, uh, and we'll grow together. And uh, so he talks about that. He talks about in verse 14 and 15, he says, I'm obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to those of you that are in Rome. So he says, man, I really, really want to see you. And I want to preach this, this gospel, this good news. I want to preach it to you because it's going to help you. It's going to strengthen you. It's going to grow you. And then he says in verse 16, these famous words, they're all famous, right? The whole book is famous. The whole Bible's famous. But he writes these words. He says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the what? It's the power. I like that word. And truth be known, you like that word, because just like me, you need power. You know that, that everything is not well with your soul. You need something from God, because you're not all right. And he says, there is this gospel, and in this gospel, there's power. There's the power of God, and it brings something. It brings salvation. It brings deliverance. It brings healing. It brings wholeness to everything that's partial and broken. So it brings salvation. First to the Jew and then the Gentile. And, and, and then Paul says this in verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. You see, righteousness with God, right standing with God is a big deal whether you know it or not. Because Adam had right standing and he blew it. And ever since the fall, man has been seeking to be restored to right standing with God. And Paul is saying, my gospel, my message, it's good news. And it, and it produces righteousness. It produces rightness with God. And he says, this righteousness is revealed and it's by faith from first to last. Just as, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed. And he goes on to talk about this downward spiral of sin and depravity that the human race knows and experiences. I talked about a watershed. Did you catch it? It really boils down to one word, the very end of verse 17, the last word. It's one of the most important words in all the Bible. It's the word faith. Let me read verse 17 again. Also, well, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It has power to bring salvation. The gospel In, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The way to be right with God is is made available and made plain. And it is by what? Faith from first to last. What Paul is saying is, it's this gospel that reveals this way to be right with God that is received by faith 
that's the answer. It's been provided for us in Jesus Christ. And our job is not to do. Our job is to believe and receive. Because the truth of the matter is, we can't do. And we're going to see that in just a minute. We're going to see how badly jacked we really are. And you say, you know, Pastor, why would you spend time on that? I'll tell you why. Not because I want to beat you up with the Word of God. Here's why. Because when you come to the realization of how broken you really are, of how sinful you are to your very core, and how absolutely inept and incapable you are of changing, that is a very low moment in your life. But it's a very freeing moment. Because in that moment, you're going to leave the land of Ur. In that moment, it becomes no longer, I've got to do better. I've got to be holier. I, I, I've got to be more spiritualer. There we go. We've got to just keep making up those er words. It's no longer about that. It's, it's about this amazing gift of rightness that Jesus Christ provided for me and it takes my breath away to realize what He's done for me. And Paul says that gift comes by what? comes by faith. It doesn't come by doing. So the watershed issue in Romans 1 is faith. Faith in what Jesus Christ has done. That is so important. Because that's how this gift comes to you. It comes by faith. And ever since the garden, we have trouble with faith. We have trouble trusting God. We have trouble believing God. Adam and Eve disobeyed because they had trouble believing. And because they had trouble believing, they had trouble obeying. Here's the truth. You are wired to believe. Make no mistake about it. You're going to believe something. Now, it's important you believe the right thing. Because you can believe the wrong thing. But you're wired to believe. And... If you believe the right thing, some amazing things happen. You believe the wrong thing, and some really amazing things happen. And that's what Paul starts into in verse 18. So the watershed issue is faith. See, whether you believe it or not, God robed Himself in flesh. He became a man. He lived a perfect life, completely submitted to the Father's will. Totally and completely. Every moment of his life. He lived the life that you could never live. He lived it perfectly. He died a substitutionary death, not for his sins, but for mine and for yours. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. He ascended, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming back again. That's the gospel. And I can choose to believe that and receive that by faith, or I can choose to believe something else. Anything else I believe, I'm entitled to believe it. But it's going to be one of those watershed issues. If I, if I believe anything else, it's going to take me a totally different direction. It's going to take me to a different destination. And I'm going to find out at the end of the day, the land of Ur didn't work for me because I didn't get holy enough. I, I wasn't obedient enough. 
And so I'd rather by faith say, Jesus, you lived a perfect life for me, and I'm going to place faith not in my life, in your life. I'm going to put my faith in that. And God says, that'll make me right with you. Dang, does anybody, can anybody sense with me that that's a pretty good deal? That's pretty good news. Now, I told you it was going to get bad. I told you it was going to get bad. And we're going to begin, we're going to, we're going to read in verse 18. Actually, we're going to cover a lot of ground. This isn't really verse by verse. We'll never get through the book of Romans. John Piper taught through the book of Romans. I think it took him four or five or six years. So we can't go verse by verse. Chris Carter's going to bring the heat next week, and I, I just love listening to Chris preach, so we're going to tag team. And, but I'm going to get us through most of chapter 3 in the, uh, the, the, the four and a half minutes I have left. Uh, but verse 18, as I read this, I want you to think, do, does, do you recognize anybody that might be like what we're reading here? That's what I want you to think about in your mind. Don't say any names, don't write any names down. But is there anybody that comes to your mind when we talk about this list? Paul says, right after he talks about gift righteousness and this power and being made right with God, he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Let me just pause and say this. The reason the good news is such, the good, news, is such good news is because of verse 18. The good news is not the good news just because God loved me. The good news is the good news is because there's wrath revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. That makes the good news even better, okay? So wrath is being revealed against all godlessness, all wickedness of people. They suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. The eternal qualities of God are obvious and therefore, every human being is without excuse. They, they may not know to call on the name of Jesus, but God is obvious. Creation, creator. Right? Intelligent creation, intelligent designer. It's pretty obvious. But as, my, as mankind, you, we, we don't want to accept that. So he says in verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave Him thanks. Their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds, animals, reptiles. Therefore, verse 24, God gives them over to sinful desires, to sexual impurity, degrading their bodies, exchanging the truth about God for a lie, worship and serving Creator rather than created rather than Creator. Because of this, verse 26, I told you it's going to get ugly. It goes from bad to worse. He says, because of this, God gives them over to shameful lusts. Women exchanging natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men doing the same thing in, in verse 27. Verse 28, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. Wow. So that they would do what ought not be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed. Do you know anybody that's greedy? Uh, depravity, full of envy. Have you ever met anybody that's envious? Have you ever known anybody to, to struggle with envy? How about, how about uh, strife? 
You know, I, I think back, we have six children. I think back, I remember one time when one of our children created some strife in the family. I can remember just one. Actually, it was more than one. Now that I, yeah, my, 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 it's coming to me, yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, strife. Deceit. Do you know anybody that's been deceptive or deceitful? Hasn't told the truth? Gossips. You probably saw some if you've, on, if you've been on Facebook already today. You've probably seen some God. There's, there's quite a bit of it out there. Okay, gossip, slanderers, insolent, arrogant, boastful. Do you know anybody that's proud and kind of arrogant, kind of boastful? You can probably think of one or two. Uh, they invent evil. They disobey their parents. Now, I'm so grateful that this is a church of godly, spiritually mature people, and, and none of us have disobeyed our parents, and none of our children have disobeyed us. But they're out there, trust me. Paul writes about them. They have no understanding, verse 31, no fidelity, no love, no mercy, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. So did anybody come to mind? I mean, can, can you think of one or two people that maybe are being described in this list? Because if you do, then Paul has something to say to you in the very next chapter, in the very next verse. Listen to what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, now wait a minute, hold on, hold on. You know, chapter 1, verse 18 and following, he's talking about them. I'm very comfortable with them. I like that language. Okay? But now I'm getting uncomfortable because we're in chapter 2, verse 1, and he's using the personal pronoun you. I don't, I don't like that so much. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself. Rut row. Hmm. Uh, Paul, we better exegete that out of the Greek because I don't think that means what it says on the surface. We, we, better, we better study that pretty deeply. <laughs> okay. Um, let, let me just summarize chapter 2 for you because I really want to get into chapter 3. Chapter 2 is, see, chapter 1, Paul describes... He re really what he describes is the result of faith in God regarding what he's done for us in Christ. Or he descri describes the other side of that, that continental divide. He describes life of faith in anything else. And that's what we result in. It, it just goes down. It's a, it's a downward spiral. And then chapter 2, Paul's writing to the Jews. Because remember, he was writing to Jews and Gentiles. So all the Jews were reading chapter 1 thinking, what a bunch of pathetic Gentiles. What a bunch of pagan, heathen sinners. Paul, you're nailing it regarding how sinful these people have been. And then Paul turns the spotlight on the Jews and says, guess what? You're, you are exactly the same. You've done just the same thing. You're just as guilty. You've got the law. You've got the covenants. You've got all the history. And you've been relying on those. All the while, you've been judging other people and their sins, and you've been committing the very same sins. So, that's chapter 2. Now, let's skip over to chapter 3. I told you we're covering a lot of territory here. Chapter 3. And I'm going to skip down <clears throat> to verse 9. You see, 
if you read chapter 1 up through verse 17, what does God call you? He calls you belong, beloved, holy, saint. He calls you righteous because of your faith in Christ. So we're just. But what we're reading here is, is the realization that we're really jacked. Thus, the title of my message, Just Jacked. So, in case there was any doubt in your mind that maybe Paul was writing about somebody else and not about you and not about me and our true condition outside of Christ, outside of God, left to our own. He uses some language. and Now, he's very subtle. I'm going to read some verses. I want to see if you get it. See if you can pick up on what Paul's trying to communicate here. He says in verse 9, What should we conclude? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. He says, we've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. They're under the power of sin. As it is written, verse 10, he's quoting the Old Testament. No one is righteous. Not even one. Verse 11, there's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks after God. Verse 12, all have turned away. Together, all together, they've become worthless. Verse 12, there's no one who does good. Not even one. He talks about their sin, throats are an open grave, a poison of vipers on their lips, mouth full of cursing, feet are swift to shed blood, ruin and misery, blah, blah, blah. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 16, uh, verse 19 rather. We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable. Verse 20. There's no one that will be declared righteous in God's sight by doing. Did you catch that? He was pretty subtle in those verses. I'm joking. He was he couldn't be more clear. See, I tend to read the scripture and I I, I wanna I wanna rationalize it that it's gotta be talking about somebody else. No, it's talking about me. This is who I am. This is who I am apart from God, apart from Christ. This is who I am, and it's real, and it's true. And I don't want to believe it, because I want to believe that I'm okay, that I'm pretty good, I know I've I got a couple areas I'm working on, and I'll get better. There's that land of her again. But what Paul is trying to help us to realize is we are jacked big time. Every single one. No room for exceptions. None. Now what does that do? Number one, that, that terrifies me. Because if there's nobody righteous in God's sight, we are all in serious trouble. Because remember verse 18? The wrath of God It's real. So what's the point? The point is this. God wants us to come to this place of realization of how broken we really are. 
of how much we really need Him. How There's nothing I can do to change me. I can't. I have to rely on Him. That's why the Gospel... Let's go back and think about chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to preach the Gospel. Why? Because it's the... It's got power. I need power. I can't do it on my own. I need power. The, the, the power of God is there to help me. And, uh, and Paul says that there's a righteousness, there's a way of being right with God that's in the Gospel that comes not by doing, but by believing. That's the operative. That's the fulcrum. That's the watershed is faith. Listen. What, 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 am I, what am I exhorting you to do this morning? I'm exhorting you to believe what God has said about you in light of what you believe about His Son. Believe it. Believe it and accept it. All of it, not a part of it. Because there's power in that. There's, there's power to be made right with God. There's power to change. I'll say it again. I don't just need the gospel the day that I get born again when I was 8 years old, 43 years ago. I need the gospel today. I need the good news today. I need power today. I need God's help today to live out this Christ life. How about you? We all do. Ah, out of time. So, let me, let me just... Let me close with this, and the worship team can come up. The fulcrum issue is faith. It's believing. That's how righteousness comes. And so what's important is that I believe, and I, I want to go back and illustrate this with a story that I've told you. But I, I love this story because it, it's true, and it illustrates what does it mean to believe. See, Paul's not talking about head, mental acknowledgement. That's not what he's talking about. Talking about the Bible says in Romans 10 that faith is of the heart. With the heart, man believes. I've told you the story about Blondin, this crazy guy that in the mid 1800s set up the tightrope. I was reading about him again in the Smithsonian and, and uh, reading some documentary on, on his, his feats. He actually, he actually strung that tightrope and, and did the tightrope over the Niagara Falls multiple times. Multiple times. He did it forward. He did it going backward. He did it blindfolded. He did it pushing a wheelbarrow. He went multiple times. One of the craziest things, and I told you this, but I didn't realize, I'd always heard the story that he invited somebody to get on his shoulders. They all believed he could do it. They'd seen him do it. And he said, I want somebody to be on my shoulders. That's an that's a actual photo. It's very small. I'm sorry, you can't see it real well. That's his promoter, the guy that was promoting him, on his back. And he said, one of, the, one of the things I want to do is I want to walk the tightrope with you on my back. See, when we talk about faith, it's one thing to hang back in the crowd and say, Blondin, you're the man. You're awesome. You can do it. Forward, backward, blindfold. I believe. But the day that Blondin allegorically says, hey, I want you to get on my back. That's a game changer right there. Right? That's no longer up here, that's here. 
And you better be here or you're not getting on his back. That's all there is to it. That's what we mean when we talk about faith. I was reading about this and his instructions to his promoter. This is, this, this is a perfect summation of what I'm talking about. He said to his promoter, he said, we're going to do this, you're going to be on my back. He said, you're going to be tempted to try to balance. Don't do that. To do not try to balance. He said, look up. Don't look down. If you have to, close your eyes. He said, but do not try to balance. Because the moment you try to balance, you're going to throw me off balance and we're both going to fall to our death. I thought, what a powerful picture of what God's calling, what He's inviting us into. He invites us to get on His back and completely trust Him in what He's done. And He says, whatever you do, don't try to balance yourself. You've got to trust Him. Because if you try to balance, you're going to jack us both up. You're, you're going to ruin the true gospel. Are you listening this morning? Now that is good news, isn't it? Just jacked. I'm jacked. You're jacked. We have the invitation to become just, to become righteous, to be labeled right with God all because of what Jesus did. We just place heart faith in that. Wow. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, I've done the very best I know how to do, and I just have to trust you to, to say what I can't say and to do what I can't do. But Lord, this morning, we, wow, we sang about Jesus being beautiful. He's even more beautiful now. Our hearts have, have even greater affection for Him now. Wow. Jesus, thank You. Thank You. Help each one of us come to a place of greater faith, greater trust, because it's going to result in more obedience. It's going to result in more of the Christ life coming out of us. And Lord, every one of us in this room, you already know us so well. You know we are going to try to do the balancing. You already know we're going to try. Lord, forgive us for trying. And just lovingly bring us back to believing and trusting. Lifting our head up and looking up. Oh, that's such a good posture. Help each one of us do it by the grace of God. And I think it's appropriate that we would just stand up with our eyes closed and and our hearts raised to worship Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. He's the one we trust. Let's, let's sing that together. Let's worship Him together as we prepare to leave.